When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and on this occasion I am joined by Sean McGuigan. Hello there. And Craig Anderson. Hello. Hello boys, how are you getting on? Sean's having a big glug at a glass of red wine that's making me insanely jealous. I've uh, I've had a rubbish day at work, and that was uh, this is this is greatly needed. But uh, other than that, I'm I'm very well, thank you. Very well. I'm still in the middle of my day at work, so I've uh, oh. I've removed some time from it to, to speak to you so I'll be working even later than normal tonight so that'll be fun I'm actually doing the same but I'll probably wait until after the Rangers game's done I'll watch that first and then I've got a I wrote a very I hope I, actually I don't very rarely do this but I'm going to give a plug to my own article here on the Edinburgh Evening News tomorrow um, it's, an, it's a, a long a very long interview with uh, Sue McLernan who was the, the Hibs employee who worked for the club for, for 40 years and was quite abruptly and I think bewilderingly made redundant by the club when it's somebody who's really kind of given their, their heart and soul to Hibs but Hibs seem to be on this kind of path where they, they want as many they want to bring in as much of their own people as possible and as in many positions as possible around Hibs and, and this is the, the path they've chose to go down so I, I spoke to her about her time at the club and I'd heard all these stories like about her about how such a great person she was and stuff like that and I mean, I was still blown away during the interviews. I spoke to her for 40 minutes. Could have spoke to her for about four hours. Uh, it was just a pleasure to talk to a real, just tremendous kind of person. Big-hearted, selfless, humble. And, yeah, so I, I even lobbied my bosses because usually our limit is like 900 words. I was like, I need more. I need more than that. And I could have... So I wrote 1,400 today, so that'll be on, online tomorrow morning. But it meant that other things I had to do today or kind of pushed to the back so after the Rangers game's finished I'll have to do a couple of more bits and pieces and end up working to, to midnight or something but so, sounds, sounds like exactly the sort of person you'd want as far away from your club as possible <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest because obviously I'd, I'd saw tweets that she'd left and, and to start with I wasn't sure if she was if she'd maybe retired but I wasn't sure if it was her decision to leave the club but obviously obviously not it was not 
Ah, Hibs. Right. <laughs> um, let's say uh, we're not talking about Hibs. We're not talking about. We're not talking about anything top flight on this show. I have two fans of teams in the championship. <laughs> Still quite funny to say that about Craig, even though it looks like it's not going to be that way for much longer, as Kelly are top of the table with a four-point gap and four games to go. Craig, I'll go to you first. Do you expect to see your Ayrshire Kelly boys over the line this campaign? <laughs> Pro- probably. Um, it's like, by default, it feels like, I mean, Kelly are sitting with six, 60 points, which is not really a lot of points. I think we're, we're still short of the tally we got in the top flight under Steve Clark. We still, there's still a possibility we won't even match that um, this season. But with the lead we have and the fact that our both our both have more or less stopped winning games and they're the only real challengers now, they, they, they've not lost a lot of games either, but they just keep drawing. Um, so... All, all Kelly need to do, we've got four games left and if we win two of them and one of those is against our both at Rugby Park, that'll be enough. And as much as we've got a much tougher end to the season than our both do, because um, we've got Dunfermline at home at the weekend, which is the easiest on paper of the three, but we've not really... <laughs> we beat them once, which was quite tight and had two draws with them. But then the other two games, apart from our both at home, are the um, away to Inverness and Wraith. We we lost the the kind of reverse fixtures to both. Now I appreciate Wraith are uh, woefully out of form at the moment, um, but both of those teams are are better opponents. Whereas our both other fixtures are they're at Hamilton at the weekend, and then they've got uh, Queen of the South and Morton at home as their other games. So on paper, their fixtures are easy, but easier, but. I, I don't think they'll win. I'd be surprised if they won more than two um, of those. I think that that would be... I can't see it happening. So I, I think probably we will stumble over the line. And, and I just want to make it clear, Kelly have been terrible this season. And despite that, we're hopefully... Been, I think been very fortunate about the quality of the league that we've, uh, we've been relegated into. Because I think if... Uh, I know when we spoke last season, Craig... And you said, you know, if Kelly go down, what do you think? And I said, I think it will take a, a couple of seasons to get back, just with all the adjustment and all the stuff. But I wasn't envisaging that the only team that would put up half a fight or a part-time team who would have probably started the season being happy with eighth. So we've been <laughs> somewhat fortunate in that respect. And, and I think probably would just do enough to get over the line. To be honest, I think if we beat our both and lost the other three games, that would, would probably be good enough. But uh, hopefully, we won't we won't put ourselves into that position. Sean, what have you made of Derek McInnes's side in recent weeks? I mean, you know, so we've, we've kind of said previously about about league winning teams that they're they were, they were kind of the best. They're a bad bunch if it's been like a poor season in general. But this is very much feels like they're, they're the best. They're a bad bunch. And to be fair, like I think Kelly could go up. Like if they do go up this season, and I suspect they will, I think they go up and improve over the summer and and still be decent in the top tier next season. Just because they've been bad this season doesn't mean to say they're, they're necessarily going to struggle uh, next season if they if, if they go up. But as as Craig said, looking at those fixtures that Arbroath have got and Kelly have got, see if Arbroath were in form, I might have said mm, Arbroath could still sneak it. But the fact that they've won, I think it's two games in nine now. Uh, I, I did think it was quite funny that there was there was our both fans saying that like form wise the arse hasn't fallen out of them, but it, it definitely has. Like if you've only won two games in nine and you're going for the title, the arse has definitely fallen out of your season. They were, they were trying to justify it by saying, "Well, aye, but we would have took eighth at the start of the season." But like that's 
that doesn't really matter. Like obviously you're like the bar has changed over the course of the season. And as of maybe January, when when was when was a game where they beat Kilmarnock at, at Gayfield? Like at that point I think you could argue that our both were the best team in the league. I mean certainly they were they were, they were certainly top of the league uh, at I that point and I think they went four points clear with that game. Yeah, they certainly the, four points had, clear at one point. They had a great chance to go seven points clear the following midweek as Kelly lost at home to Ayr. And I think Arbroath drew with Hamilton. Drew yeah. Hamilton. Uh, no, no, I think there's reasons for that. I, I mean, it might be, maybe it's to do with the fact that they're part-time. Uh, maybe they're kind of running on fumes. Uh, maybe it's just because they've got a, a far smaller squad than Kelly. Maybe it, it's because they had, in my opinion, not necessarily a poor January transfer window, but they certainly got weaker uh, in January. Maybe they've struggled to deal with the pressure. Maybe it's all of those reasons. But definitely, our growth are a far inferior side than they were two or three months ago, and that's ultimately why Kelly will, will win it. I, I don't see our growth... Aye, I don't see our growth winning three for the next four, for example, so I, I suspect that Kelly will do enough. Can I ask you, Craig, did, did you see the Kelly Morton game on Friday night? I, d- I didn't see that, no. No, I just that that sums up to me how Kelly's season has been. It, like, so few players in that team, like, competent on the ball, the kind of basics that you'd expect. Now, I'm obviously watching, I've, I've watched Kelly in the Premiership all my life up until now, or the SPL or the Premier Division, all the names of it. And and I've always thought, you know, the Championship, there, there are good teams and there have been good teams in that league in the past, but this Kelly team, you're talking about kind of fullbacks who get on the ball and they, they don't have the basics, they can't play, you know, they can't take take a touch, open their body up and play the pass. It's like everything's so laboured, everything's so slow. And it makes it it's such a frustrating team to watch. And that, again, that's been across the entire season. There's not really been any point where I thought, you know what, we're quite good here. And the biggest difference, I think, from McInnes coming in has been, he's brought in Taylor, who's been the commanding centre-half, who's been very good. And he's brought in Lafferty, who hardly ever scores away from home. But uh, at Rugby Park, he is... Uh, the prolific would be would be an understatement because um, I think he scored twenty goals for Kelly and fifteen of them have been at home. So, and and of the the away ones, I think uh, three were in a hat trick against Stenhouse Muir and then he had two two up at Dingwall. So he's only scored in two away games, but these home games he is prolific and he's and he's brought that attitude because so few of the other players um, have have really performed well. You you've basically got a spine of the team of Taylor. Lafferty, um, Hemming and goals and, and Rory McKenzie who's, who's, who's had a very good season but beyond that like you, you talked about the squad going up and, and I agree only in the sense that it's a totally it's, it's a totally different game you have to play when you're in the Premier League we, we've not coped well with having to try and go out and win games because it's not been in it wasn't in Tommy Wright's nature it wasn't in the players nature I think to try and win every week and you wouldn't have to do that in the Premiership, but there are so many substandard players in that squad that only gutted because I would I would say there are six or seven that in the squad that I would think you know what you've got something to offer next season, but but so many of them are sorely lacking. But nonetheless, despite that, they will be hailed as the first Kelly team to win a trophy, win a league title in fifty odd years. Because like we've not won one since we were champions of Scotland, so so legends. Yeah, well, well, I mean. That, that, that may be a, a stretch, but um, <laughs> ultimately it'll make a massive difference to the club's future if we do win the league this year because I think the 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 board pushed the boat out would be a bit far, but 
they didn't cut back as much as they might have done. Um, I mean, folks saying that I don't think we've got a Premiership squad. I think a lot of the players that we've brought in, and maybe partly we've brought in players who were Premiership players, Paul Worth, Naismith, who've just been hopeless. And, and McInnes went and did the same in January because, with the exception of the two I mentioned, of uh, Taylor and Lafferty, his other signings are just not playing. It's basically Tommy Wright's team plus those two because uh, Dylan Tate was okay, got injured. Dean Campbell, terrible. Uh, Daniel Mackay just hasn't hasn't really done it, and then I can't even remember who else we signed, but they're not playing. Whoever they are, they're not playing. Um, but uh, Declan Glass, yeah, not 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 kicked a ball. Um, so it's like he's managed to McKin- what McInnes has managed to do is just get them grinding better, and he's got Lafferty to kind of dig him out a hole. But I would. I, I trust that he can build a team for the top flight and we've seen him do it before at two different clubs so I'm not worried about that but he's hardly like you're hardly going oh yeah I can see why this guy finished uh, finishing the top four for so many consecutive seasons for Aberdeen I think I think ultimately that'll, that'll be the difference so all the teams that are in the top five Wraith Rovers famously didn't strengthen in January uh, Inverness Probably got no worse, but I don't know if they got any better. Patrick Thistle had a poor January window. Our growth probably got weaker, whereas Kelly, Kelly got that bit stronger, and that's that's ultimately what's going to drag them over the line. Craig, what is the kind of main difference that you've seen between McInnes' side and Wright's team? Point, I mean, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that there's been a huge difference. If I'm quite we'd, honest with we'd, you, um, we'd, uh, if Tony Wright had kept his job, would Kelly maybe be still top of the table at this point? <laughs> To be honest, I am not going to say they wouldn't be. I think Wright had to go at the time because I think at the time I was saying I don't think we're going to win the league with them. But I mean, that's how, I mean maybe that's a bit harsh because I'm on McInnes in the sense that in the last eight games we've had six wins and two draws. So I mean, I don't think we would have done that under Wright. But if I was looking at the performances on the pitch, there's to be honest not a lot I've seen that has made me think. Or I can see I can see the real McInnes impact here. And and maybe I mean maybe right right the problem right had and um, was he just started to rub the fans up the wrong way and in um, I was up at up at Kirkcaldy um, when I think they were I can't remember they were calling him a wanker or something and he waved back and you're like right so you're 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 done here basically um, and and he, and he left within a couple of weeks of that and I think McInnes has been fortunate because McInnes lost those games the the ones that Sean mentioned they're both into to air uh, kind of in quick succession and the air one in particular he chucked that game away because it was one each Kelly had been the better team and he, he changed formation which was ludicrous and the team just didn't have a clue and we've seen that a couple of times and, and there's been a lot of these kind of crap performances where we've just managed to do something and so so I I am not able to really tell you what the difference has been apart from We've we've kind of started score, scoring a few more goals, maybe, but he's he's got a wee bit of a tune out of Ollie Shaw. I don't know, like, but not much a tune. But but the one thing I mentioned that game, I think that the the main point to take is that game that I spoke about, which was in in December when when Wraith beat uh, beat Kelly, and and that was kind of all kind of doom and gloom at that point for Kelly and Wraith felt like they were you know well in the the hunt for the title but since since that game if someone put put it up on Pine Bovro a Wraith fan league table since then Kelly have taken 31 points for 15 games Knicks are both with 25 so we've made up 6 points on them but then the other challengers for the league um, that you would have said which are Thistle, Inverness and Wraith 
or seventh, eighth, and tenth in that table of points <laughs> gained since then. So uh, Thistle have taken eighteen, Inverness have taken fifteen, and Wraith have taken ten. So I think that kind of explains that what Kelly have basically done is just hung around long enough that everyone else has fallen away, um, rather than doing anything fantastic. So let's uh, let's talk about a couple of those teams. Sean Inverness were looking for a lot of this season, like they were going to be like the Kelly's biggest contenders for the title, and but they kind of really fell away. It was kind of I kind of thought there was going to be real beginning of the end vibes because I didn't think I really had doubts about Billy Dodds the manager anyway, but then they started off so well. But then once they went in the tank, I thought, right, okay, surely Billy Dodds not going to be able to rescue this, and they're just going to keep losing and ultimately until he loses his job like next season. But they've had a revival. They've won their last three. So what do you make of the Kelly Jags? I I, I think you can almost attribute that falling away to the Michael Gardine incident. Whatever that Michael Gardine incident was, I, I think you can put it back to that. Because it, certainly at one point he was he was one of the better players in the championship, maybe that first two or three months. In terms of the goals he'd scored, in terms of goals that he'd created for Inverness, there was nobody else at one point, until he dropped out of the team, there was nobody else near him in terms of numbers off the top of my head. And I think they I think they missed him enormously. But then, ultimately, you would also presume there was a lot of disgruntlement behind the scenes in terms of maybe the atmosphere at the club, the, the morale, whether there was... I'm not going to suggest that there was two different camps necessarily... Uh, but obviously all was not well behind the scenes and I they, they maybe managed to create a better atmosphere when Gardine was removed for the club and, and went to Montrose but they still couldn't really replace him as a player and I think it's it's probably taken them until three or four weeks ago to, to try and come up with some kind of system to make up for that that Michael Gardine shaped hole in their team but like, I, I do think in, in terms of the squad I, I think they probably do is it better than Ambrose? Probably. Like, they've got strikers that would that would get a game for most teams in the league. Uh, defensively, like I think David Carson's a pretty good right-back. He wasn't anywhere near as good as he had been uh, last season. I thought it was a bit of revelation when he got moved to that position, but he's come back into form recently. Was, and was, it, was, it, was it as good before he was jilted? There's <laughs> <laughs> something in his mind for the first half of the uh, season. And, 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 until, he, until he became cuckolded. Uh <laughs> Well, I know, uh, I know. Like Kirk Broadfoot got a little bit of a hard time at the start of the season. But you know, somebody, he's he's been fine as well. So is so is Mark Ridgers by and large. Uh, I like Shane Sutherland. Billy McKay has got goals. I I, I think they've got a decent squad. Uh, but that the fact that their uh, their boat was rocked so much two or three months into the season, I, I just think unsettled them, and it took them a long, long time to recover for that. And the other side, making up the top four, are Partick Thistle. They were going great guns, and Thistle fans actually started to complain that they really weren't happy that everybody was talking about Arbel's fairy tale run. Because surely Thistle's was more of a fairy tale for some reason. <laughs> I, think, I think it was down to the fact that they had been um, unfairly demoted, uh, similar <laughs> to Hearts, uh, to a different league, then won that league, and now we're possibly going to do two promotions back to back and th- therefore that was that was a bigger fairy tale than a part-time team playing in the Scottish top flight for the first time in about 40 years or something or maybe even longer I can't quite uh, remember uh, 
It, it was just like the, the timing of it, like that that boy tweeted well, the that, and then really won a game since. I think they lost four in a row after it, and then they, they finally <laughs> finally, um, which was was good news for me, picked up a point against our broth at the weekend. Um, but yeah, because they just they just took two scuddings right off the back of it, and yeah, I have to say I was worried about them at that point because not <laughs> Kelly played them at. Um, at Fur Hill early in the season and I thought their defence was an absolute shambles and, and we beat them 2-0 it was quite comfortable probably one of our best performances this season and then they seemed to get their act together defensively Jamie Sneddon was keeping clean sheets all over the place they, they weren't conceding a lot of goals they came to Rugby Park Zach Rudden just ran the show against us and then for me the departure of Rudden in January um was what done them in, and particularly the failure to replace him. They brought in Alex Jakubiak. Not good enough, really. I mean, he's just not. Um, he's one of the players that, if he was, if you're bringing him in into your squad to be like your fourth striker or something, you know, bring him on out wide to run about and stuff, you might get that. But they, they did that and then they lost Brian Graham to injury. And Brian Graham's still, still a really good player at this level. And that combination, I think, Kind of done them over. Plus, plus the the McCall, his teams consistently just fall apart at this point in the season. His United team did the same, and they didn't have an excuse of um, Warren Shanklin was still there that season, but they still just uh, they just stopped. Um, so I was I had been worried about them, but um, fortunately they just started to fall fall away. And I say fortunately, if you're a party Thistle fan, you'll not think fortunately, but I can't help but put my selfish hat on here. But uh, they, um, I, I think, I think if they get into the playoffs, they've got a good team and they'll they'll bear me a shout. But I think that party Thistle in from this, um, if if that does prove to be the semi in the fight or the quarter in the playoffs, I think would be quite a, quite an even and quite a good game. But it's it's such a tough challenge to come up. But I mean. They've, they're newly promoted and I think if, if they can get into the playoffs they'll probably see it as an achievement over the season but I think there is a missed opportunity if they'd kept a hold of Rudden I think they'd be much closer to the top I'd, I'd, I mean I'd, I don't know what they got and presumably buttons not certainly not a lot certainly not enough to, to, to make it worth their while because I think if they had kept them I, I still don't think they would have won the league I, I don't think you can ever trust games in hand I think they're the fact that they were playing Saturday midweek, Saturday midweek, Saturday midweek. I think it was probably always going to catch up with them, especially when you're playing in a bog uh, every every second game. <laughs> but I do think if I do think if they kept the hold of Rudden, I I could maybe have seen them finishing runners up, uh, which obviously in terms of prize money, there's a big difference between second and fourth. So I unless unless Rudden himself was was particularly keen on a move and was putting pressure on, on moving away from the club in, in January, which which may have been the case, but you'd think like the chance he maybe he would have had the chance to get in a team promoted or maybe win in a, a league winner's medal. You thought that maybe could they coerce them into staying? I, I, I don't and know. And it's not like he's moving to Celtic. Nah. <laughs> no, he's going to be in the championship next season. Like. <laughs> so aye, that's that's ultimately what's, what's going to cost them because who's the guy they brought in for Rangers? Like, is it a leg- well, a leg- a, again, just just no good enough either. So so I that's 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 why they're going to fall a good bit short this season. And I, I don't I don't see them getting promoted. I, I don't see anybody. I don't see anybody getting getting promoted via the playoffs. No, I just think uh, the, the league's poor. But I do think there's something to say if they hit a St Mirren team that are just on the slide and just if that was who they were playing, they're you know. 
the man who just kind of not inspired a lot of confidence in the kept losing games. Do you mean, I could see do you mean Stephen Terry Butcher Robinson? Exactly. <laughs> I, I think you're right. If they play St Johnston and they're kind of resurgent, and, and you know, I, I think St Johnston would be too strong um, just, just because I think they've got better players. St Mirren have got better players as well, but they might be. Um, no, but I think, it, I think it's always. The championship team are, are definitely second favourites in the playoffs, but they're not they're not incapable of you know pulling off a result and then seeing defending it out for the rest of the, the rest of the game and or the rest of the tie. So I'll never write them off, but I I, I would I would say their best chances if they if they hit a St Mirren or or an Aberdeen, but that seems less likely. Right, the team in the fifth place in the championship is Wraith Rovers. Now Wraith. Uh, still not doing too well in the league. They lost to Dunfermline on Wednesday evening, 2 0 at East Red Park. Absolutely. Had no shots at goal. No, no shots at goal. Dunfermline, like, like Dunfermline were, were far superior to the Rovers, but they didn't have to do anything particularly clever to, to get their two goals and, and to win uh, to, to win the game and, and see it out. The Rovers were absolutely abysmal. <laughs> but. It's been a no bad week overall because you won a trophy. Wraith are win. the Challenge Cup champions, the SPFL Trust Trophy, I believe it is. Yes. After defeating Queen of the South 3-1 on Sunday. Sean, I believe you were at the game? I was, yes. How was it? How was your day? How was your whole experience? Was, you, was your top off in Kirkcaldy High Street again? No, no, not quite. I managed it. So basically, long story short, uh, I got with the train at 10 so I had a carry out with me on the train at 10 through to Edinburgh. I had to run because the train was late into Edinburgh. So I had to run across Haymarket for the train to Glasgow with a table booked in Glasgow at 12. Uh, stayed there till about quarter to three. Got a carry out, train to Airdrie. Had enough time for a couple of drinks in Airdrie. Game, I thought the game was actually pretty good. Uh, like a decent atmosphere, a decent enough game. Rovers kind of rode their luck, especially in the first half. Uh, kind of celebrations at full time. When th- there was only one good pub in Airdrie that I'm aware of, and we didn't have enough time to visit it before the game, so we went in afterwards. And I, like, bear in mind, this is like about half six. Now, I don't know if this is something to do with the fact that maybe it was an old fun earlier in the day, I'm, I'm not sure. But I walks in, and there's like, what appears to be like a, a, the kind of woman that runs a pub is behind the door, and I nearly like, I nearly kind of banged the door into her when I walked through. She went, right, you hate to get out, you hate to get out. And I was like, right, okay. She goes, we're closing. I goes, you're closing at half past six. Aye. I goes, all right, okay. I goes, how come? Because we are. I'm telling you to get out. I'm, I'm, I'm telling everybody to get out. I goes, right, but there's literally a guy getting served at the bar, so you're obviously not telling him to get out. Just get out. I was like, right, okay. So we all had to leave again. Uh, we found one pub which had a disco on. Like a disco at half past six. That seems quite early for a disco. I was like, this is this this is interesting. But then we checked then we checked to see what time the trains home were. So there was one in so we just got a pint. There was one in twelve minutes. Then the next one was cancelled, and then the next one was in two hours and twelve minutes. I'm like, I'm no staying in an energy disco for two hours, <laughs> two plus hours. So, so we literally had to like down our drinks, then run to the train station. I was straight through Edinburgh. Then I went out in Edinburgh, and then I got back at about to kick out about the back at ten. And there was, I knew there was people doing the high street that said, "Do you want to come down?" Uh, but by that point, I was like, "Right, I, I started drinking twelve hours ago. I, I just want something to eat in my bed." Uh, so that was 
basically that was the story of my day without even mentioning the game. Uh, but it was a good day, a brilliant day actually. I believe the sh- pub shutting early has to do with the old firm game. I know they do that in Glasgow. But there was the, the weird thing was there was hardly anybody in it. It was like maybe like maybe ten people in it, and and nobody looked like they were going to be causing bother. But that, I suppose it's that, listen. I've I've never been out in energy after an old fun game, so uh, fair play. <laughs> Can't imagine it's uh, too calm a place. But how was the game in itself, and how was uh, how was it to to see Rovers lifting a trophy? Uh, so we, I kind of forgot that we're already the joint holders of the competition because it's been so long since it was last played. Uh, I I thought they were I, I thought they were fortunate, certainly in the first half. Uh, they. I thought the goal was excellent. I thought Reagan Tumulty had done well to kind of sort of kind of Ross Matthews spread it wide. Looked like the ball was going to play. Uh, Tumulty had done really well. I kind of thought right, he's going to do well to actually keep this in. He actually kind of crossed it first time into the into the box. And Matty Paplatnik's kind of diving header while getting his head kicked off was, I mean, a, a brilliant finish. But up until that point, so that was maybe fifteen minutes or so. I mean, Queen of South had started uh, the the better team. I think Jamie McDonald had maybe had one or two saves. But then after that, they hit the post. I think they then hit the bar or the post. And then even at their goal, which was thoroughly deserved just before half time. Let me get this right now. I think it hit the bar at least once. And then the post. Then there was a match to mash in the six yard box. And I eventually fell to Ali Roy, who seemed to like kick ball in about three players just to get it over the line. But going in at the interval, I thought, right, well, Queen of South thoroughly deserve that. To be honest, we're lucky that we're maybe no one or two down at this moment in time. As much as we'd we'd countered reasonably well at points, I, I thought we we're lucky to, to to go in all square. Start of the second half was a wee bit more even. I, again, I thought Queen of South were maybe sneaking it, and it was only when John McGlynn made a substitution and kind of changed a couple of roles within the team. So they'd started the two up front and Ethan Varian and Matty Paplanik. To be honest, Paplanik only really works when there's uh when there's a duo up front, doesn't normally do that well when he's when he's asked to play up front himself. However, he he actually done really well just playing up up front himself. Once Zanata came on, Zanata went out wide, but Ethan Ross then went into the middle, playing behind Paplatnik. And Ethan Ross is just a far better player when he's when he's kind of playing in that position rather than rather than out wide. And at that point, that's when the Rovers started like the momentum swung away for for Kuna South. And when Rafe went 2-1 up, a corner from Aidan Connolly, I think. Paplatnik kind of pulled off Willie Gibson. Decent header. Gibson probably didn't, do, didn't look too clever at that point. And then at that point, you just thought it was only going to be one winner. And again, Paplatnik was involved in the third goal. Really good finish for, for Ethan Ross. And I, at full time, you could probably say that Wraith were, were worthy winners. But certainly at half-time, Queen of South were, were well in it and, and well in it until the last quarter of the game. I, I did think it was quite interesting that Paplatnik after when he was interviewed uh, following the game, he basically said that he, as soon as he scored the second goal, he just wanted to shout and stare at Willie Gibson because Willie Gibson was uh, Willie Gibson was doing something during the game that Paplantnik took umbrage at. So I, I, I sometimes think that Willie Gibson maybe isn't the, the easiest person to like, and uh, that, that's what uh, that's what Paplantnik's interview was suggesting. I, I've, I've seen, I watched. I was watching the game, kind of half watching it, so it was on them. Um, on kind of at the, in the background, and I thought during the game, Wraith are comfortable, better team here. And then I watched the highlights back to talk about it today, and I was like, oh, there's a heck of a lot of Queen of the South chances in this. Um, but yeah, Rovers definitely kind of ran away in the last 15 20 minutes. You were like, right, the, maybe Queen's had kind of run the race at that point, I don't know, but 
I thought it was funny with the, the what I would class as a winning goal, the second goal where Willie Gibson, uh, the manager, is going to have to go into the uh, the changing room <laughs> and have a very tough conversation with Willie Gibson, the, the, the player, because Willie Gibson, the player, certainly it, it wasn't the best job of marking um, that I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I, I think Poplatnik's been, whenever I've seen him this season, been very good for Rovers, and so it was nice... Um, for a player who I think is going to be a wee bit um, underused this season to kind of maybe... The, the, the only thing I would say about that is, bearing in mind you were presumably at Rugby Park when he scored about his only two league goals up right, until possibly, about a month ago. So, so so maybe you maybe you caught him on a very good day. But he's, he's, he's come into form recently, so that's four... Well, that was four goals and... Sorry, five goals in four games. And like he's always been a decent link man. He's always been a bit of a fan favourite, but he's never... He's never been a goal scorer and, until recently, although he, he certainly didn't look like one last night against Dunfermline. <laughs> Haunted by this game. Sean, a race finishing in the playoffs? No chance. Absolutely no chance. <laughs> there's there, there's only three points in it, however, uh, and, and they still have Patrick Thistle to play, so I, I suppose they could go to Maryhill and, and turn them over and, and that would put them level on points, but but no, I, I, I cannot see it. They've played like Morton at home, is their next game, which is probably their easiest at the last four. I, I don't see them winning that either. I, that'll be, I, I think it'll be like a bog standard draw or something. But no, they're fifth. They're, they're not far from the playoffs. There is no chance they're getting in them. And uh, Queens, are they going down? Aye, I think last night, last night sealed their fate. Six points behind, four games to go. They've still got Dunfermline to play. But they just, I, I mean, I, I said it in the summer, I, I think of all the squads in the championship, they have the least amount of talent. And they, they they probably left it too late to sack Alan Johnson. But as much as Willie Gibson got a wee upturn in fortunes no long after they arrived, I, I, I think they've they've reverted back to the mean. They, they, they could have appointed anybody to replace Alan Johnson, even, even if they'd done it earlier. Maybe if they'd... Maybe if they'd sacked them earlier, got somebody in and, and given them money to play with in the January transfer window, it might have made a difference, but... I think they've got the the poorest squad by a mile in that division, and I, I thoroughly expect them to go down. I, I think the I think the chat is that they'll stay full time, even if they go into League One, which makes League One very competitive next season. Uh, but by they're they're doomed. So they would have went down even if they'd hired Pep Guardiola. Aye, aye, that's how bad they are. Fair enough. Right, let's get to the next in our countdown of the 50 most memorable Scotland matches of all time. We are at number 11. And this one comes from the 9th of October, 1996, when Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something oh, I like that. was number one in the UK yeah, charts. That is a good song. I like that. That is a good song. And the number one film at the UK box office was The Nutty Professor. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Professor's pretty I, I was, I was uh, what, seven years old at the time, so I probably enjoyed it then, but I, I suspect I would enjoy it less so if I watched it back now. So I would have been um, about nine or something, I still thought it was really infantile and stupid, even as a, even as very infantile and stupid myself. I was probably 27 and I thought it was shit. <laughs> so the Scotland team was Gorham. McNamara, Boyd, Calderwood, McKinley, Burley, Lambert, Collins, McGinley, Dodds, and Jackson. And the opponents? Well, there wasn't any opponents because it's one team in Talon. That is number 11 on our most memorable matches, which I don't know, maybe is it a bit of a cheat, Craig? Because technically, it's not a match. It's not. A, 
It's not a match, and it is a match. There was a there was a there was a whistle to start the game. So, ah, yeah, fair enough. In in some senses, but um, yeah, it was. I remember I was as, as I said I was quite young, and I used to go to my my friend that lived up the road's uh, house after school because um, my mum was still working um, that night. So whatever whatever day of the week it was, it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something, um, and. I remember because I knew the Scotland game was kicking off at like four o'clock or whatever it was. I was like, oh, I'm going to get get home to to watch this, and then got there and and, and it wasn't on, and being very confused. And it wasn't like, you know, now you would know straight away that that had happened and you know what was going on. You would know, but at that time, I left for school in the morning thinking, oh, it's Scotland game tonight, and then there was no game, and it took a while to work out what was happening. Very strange situation and, and something that, that, that wouldn't happen, I don't think, nowadays. But it was, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those curious things that we qualified for this tournament. If we'd not qualified for this tournament, I think it would have been a very sore point in Scottish football history, to be honest, and the way it was dealt with, the way it all, um, the way it all happened. But because, because we did qualify for that World Cup anyway, I think we can laugh about it. Sean, do you see the funny side? I, I can now, but as Craig said, if we hadn't qualified, I'd still be spitting feathers about it at, at this moment in time. I, I don't think it helped that we had Sweden in the group and Leonard, Leonard Johansson. Uh, he, I, I think, ultimately had the final say on rather than us being awarded the game 3 0, which is what most people expected to happen. We, in fact, had to replay the game on a, a, a neutral venue many months later, like months and months and months later. In fact, I don't think I don't think they actually made the decision that we had to replay the game until a couple of months later. It took them ages to come up with, uh, with, with a solution. Yeah, they, 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 this was October 96 and the replay was in February. So it was, uh, yeah, um, a, long, a long time later. It was which, is quite, which, is, which is quite ironic because they came to the original decision at half two in the morning, after having a meeting at that time to decide whether the game should, what time the game should go ahead. So basically, what had happened is that Scotland had trained on it the night before. Estonia, it was a really kind of small, um, kind of small ground that Richard Keyes wouldn't be too impressed by. And Scotland trained on it the night before. Estonia had brought in floodlights from Finland, uh, temporary floodlights, so that the game could be played at night. But the, the night before, Craig Brown wasn't happy with the floodlights, didn't think they were, they were up to scratch. The match delegate from FIFA, uh, Jean-Marie Gantinben, Gantinben, let's go for that. He originally ordered that the match should take place at the original time, but then Scotland had their complaint, and then the decision was reversed at half two in the morning. Now, having read the Estonia side of this, because I thought it... I originally thought it was ridiculous that, that Scotland weren't awarded a 3-0 victory because there was also... It was also a kind of... Um, what's the word? Like a, a precedent. There was a precedent of sorts with a game in the, the 70s where the Soviet Union refused to play on a, a ground in Chile which had been host to several public executions under the, the brutal regime uh, of, of Pinochet. Uh, they wanted the game played somewhere else in Chile. Two, two, two huge left prevalent <laughs> situations, you have to say. Yes, yes, I wonder what Craig Brown would have But they were, they were told to, to play the game at that ground, they, they refused to play, and then the game was awarded to Chile instead, who went to the, the World Cup instead of the Soviet Union. So there was a, a kind of a kind of precedent uh, when, when teams aren't turning up, basically. 
Um, but Astoria did turn up at the the original time to play. They felt it was really unjust that they had had to to move the game on the day of the match, basically. They thought that was what was ridiculous about it, especially since at the time, Estonia were largely made up of part-time players. And it meant that... So Mark, Mark Poom was, was a goalkeeper and uh, put in a tremendous... He was kind of grateful for it in the end because he put in a tremendous performance in the rearranged match, which then alerted, I think it was Derby County, uh, to him and it, he went back to English football having had a, a failed spell at Portsmouth I think it was the first time round so he, he kind of credits that with really kind of turning his career around but overall it was kind of players who like couldn't like like how the hell are we going to get away from work early for this kind of thing it just they thought it wasn't impossible and they felt they were being unfairly treated because they were a new and small country and it was just like oh like we can make up whatever decision because if they're upset about it, who cares? It's only Estonia kind of thing. So I did kind of see their side of it. Um, did, but, did you uh, see uh, the footage though, Craig, of what the um, <laughs> what it looked like when Scotland were training on it the night before? It looked terrible. No. Terrible. It, 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 it was uh, it was not bright. I, I used to I used when I was refereeing. I used to do um, running around our running track um, when we were doing our kind of fitness stuff, and it had these like terrible floodlights. So you like when you got kind of. It was fine if you're on the track, but if you got into the middle, because they sometimes get you kind of do you know do stretches and press ups and all that type of. I don't I don't know enough about training to know what type of fitness that is to to improve your flexibility basically, um and you used to basically be able to barely see the grass when you were on that, and it, and it gave me those vibes because it was like a big um a big running track around the pitch and the floodlights which didn't seem that great were on the, were on the other side of the the track from the floodlights from the pitch. So it was, uh, it was dark. It looked very dark um, on the pitch. So I could imagine it not being ideal conditions for playing an international football match. So I could kind of understand where the complaint came from, but it, it felt like something that, again, nowadays it would be sorted out well in advance because there would be like a million and one checks and people doing it. But the international football was the wild west probably up until like the mid two thousands. To be honest, in terms of these things happening. Like Fair Island randomly choosing to play as like whatever they wanted in the middle of these pitches in the windiest part of the world just because they could. That that doesn't really happen anymore. So I think it it was a combination of bad yeah, bad pitch and then UEFA FIFA not bothering their RCs until too late, which probably they, they will feel justified in their grievance. And as I said, because um we ultimately drew the rearranged game in Monte Carlo, which could have been a massive um Problem, but we we did finish ahead of Sweden by two points, regardless. So it, it again, it doesn't matter so much now. But again, if if you'd been cost a World Cup because of that, um, you, you would be fuming. Ah, yeah, yeah. I I wonder if it came down to money as well, because like I'd I'd read about Estonia not being happy because they had part time players and and those players were at work. But then I read another quote that said that they had a training camp that was a fair distance away. From the stadium and they wouldn't be able to kilometers. and they wouldn't be able to get in on time, but they did have a. So I think it was BBC, BBC Scotland had were showing the game live. The fact that the game was going to have to get moved, BBC either weren't going to show the game and weren't they going to pay the Estonian FA. It was because it was going to clash with the the live memorial for Dumbling. That was it. That was it. Uh, so I think Estonia were also worried about losing out on whatever fee they were going to get for uh, for showing the game live. So I, I think. I think Cash may have played a a a, a role in their uh, in their decision. This is Billy Dodds' second appearance for Scotland. 
arguably his best. <laughs> Sean, how much would you have loved to have been there and been one of the fans on the pitch afterwards having a kick about? Uh, I don't know. Like everybody in the game seemed really happy, and I suppose, I suppose, like even when you were there at the time, you must have known this. This is a moment in time. This is like this is going to be remembered for forever and ever. But if I travelled all the way to Estonia to to not get to see a game, I'd probably be really annoyed. Like if you like, you're paying a lot of money, you're travelling all that way, the flights, you're you're taking time off your work to to no see a game. I'd I, I don't know. I'd probably be pretty irritated. And it's probably not as easy to get in. Tallinn's kind of a a tourist destination now in some way that's pretty easy to get to. I'm not sure it was that was the case in 1996. You'd probably be, you know, via two places. Yeah, I mean, I understand like going to an away game, a lot of it's the, the trip and, you know, the drinking and all the, the stuff around it. And especially when it's with Scotland and you're, you're in a different city and stuff, seeing, seeing a new place. But, but you're going for the football. If you wanted to go on a holiday, you could go on a holiday any time of the year. So... I would certainly. I, I was. I was annoyed enough when I went to Dunfermline once and Bobby Madden <laughs> called the game off for fog. So I can't imagine what it would be like if uh, if I if I went all the way to Tallinn and then they decided nah nah the game's not happening. So well, I, I think the Scotland fans did uh, have a kickabout on the pitch, which was quite fun. Yeah, that's uh, that is what I said. That's what I asked Sean. <laughs> I I, uh, I I I just asked, I just asked Sean, would you like to be one of the fans having a kick about the pitch? I, I so mean, I just said I just said this one of the fans uh, like for the memory. I mean, right. we'll, we'll, a, a very circular discussion. Then I mean, I, I, I suppose it would have been, but uh, would I would I rather have seen a game? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but unless we got beat. I remember the. I think I missed all this. Like. But I remember watching the replay and just being just annoyed at Scotland more than rubbish. Ah, not 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 a good night if your second name was Ferguson. So I think you, Ian Ferguson, I think he gestured and then said something to the Scottish fans that were that were booing at full time, and yeah. then the rearranged game was also uh, Duncan Ferguson's last ever game for Scotland because he wasn't particularly happy that the SFA allowed him to go to jail or something. <laughs> so. Yeah, I like the the, the, the the SFA were responsible for the uh, for what for for the police. I don't know. I, I always found that quite strange, but uh, he, he seems to have mellowed in his older age. He seems to be doing doing well for himself now. So fair play. I, I do still hope his house gets burgled again, though. Just have been getting our story about him absolutely panelling the the robbers. So I feel like uh, I, that's too well publicised. It's like this, but like nobody would even dare. Yeah, I love reading about that in Alan Patel's book. Like, like Ferguson, the second time the guy broke in, so he died. Battered two of them the first time, and the second time a guy broke in, didn't realise it was Duncan Ferguson's house, and he came downstairs and saw Duncan Ferguson. He's like, oh, I'm really, I'm really sorry, mate. I'll just, I'll just put everyone down and leave. And Duncan Ferguson just said, sorry, does it work like that, pal? <laughs> and then kicked fucking up. Brilliant. Anything else to add on this game? I, I don't think so. It's hard to, to, to discuss too much about a game that lasted three seconds. Oh, I do oh. like I, I do quite like reading Craig Burley's quotes about it when he was saying like all the players were like kind of taking the piss and that in the tunnel and Craig Brown's like, right, come on, focus. And it's like, well, there's nobody fucking else here. He, he said Craig Brown was convinced they were going to kind of turn up on the bus like, like you know, 30 seconds before it was due to start. 
Aye, Burley did also say, like, when he, he remember seeing vehicles turning up in the car park, he was like, oh god, I hope it's not them, because he really, like, just because of all the shit around the game, he was like, I'm not in the, not in the right mind space to, to play 90 minutes of football, international football, right now. Craig? It's like, it's like if, it, if you were at university and you turn up for a lecture, and you're all sitting there, and then you get to, like, five minutes, at, five minutes after it started, the lecturer's not turned up, and you're all kind of like, right, we give it another two minutes, and then we'll all leave. And then you're just watching that door hoping they don't turn up, even though you've all turned up for the reason of uh, of learning about whatever it was. But yeah, that, there was that vibe to it. I can imagine it. Craig Brown, Craig Brown's quotes and Craig Burley's quotes don't really marry up because Craig Brown said something like, "This feels very anticlimactic. Uh, all my players were geared up for the game," and Craig Burley was like, "We are desperate for them not to, not to turn up. We're just just wanted him." I was like, "Oh, that, that's not what Craig Brown said." I, I did like the. I did like. I, I can't remember that. I, I didn't take a note of the name of the referee, but apparently it was like a real stickler. So even though, even though there was only, literally only one team there, he went round and checked the nets, like to make sure that the nets were all like pristine and exactly as they should be. It's like there's there's not a game. Why are you doing this? I, I, I thought it was the same referee for the um, the other game, which I thought was a bit curious. Um, they, 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 I know it, like if, if it's the Scottish Cup and it goes to a replay, it's like they ask the same ref to go and do the second game. But I thought it's like they've, they've dragged this Yugoslavian guy again around around the world for this exact same game when when they could have the pick of the world referees. I thought it was quite strange, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I, I like yeah, I like that, and, it, and it, it, it made them kick off and everything. I don't, I don't really understand why they had to kick off. I also, I always thought he should have just kept it going as well, like instead of three seconds, just like. I wanted, to, I wanted to see if they were so inept that they would put the ball out of play before scoring and then it would just have to wait until half-time for then the game to be <laughs> abandoned because uh, another team couldn't kick off for the second half. Uh, uh, they put it out for a throw-in and then it's just like, ah, <laughs> ah, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> just hanging about for 44 and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, that would, been, that would have been peak Scotland. In, in chess, if your opponent doesn't turn up, like you hit your, you play your move and hit your clock, and then you have to just sit and watch their clock tick down for like the next twenty minutes in case they come in late. So uh, you can imagine the Scotland players have been made to stand on the pitch for like you know twenty minutes or something just in, in case they arrived. And then they're immediately told, "Oh, by the way, you've got a throw in. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're booked for time. The player taking is booked for time wasted." <laughs> right, guys, I think that'll do us. Thank you very much for joining me, Craig. Thank you. Thank you for joining me, Sean. Thank you. And if you'd like to hear more from us, head over to patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast where we are going to talk about the state of refereeing and uh, the Scottish top flight this season and how that ties in with the upcoming VAR implementation. And if there's any more time, we'll also talk a little bit about the protest, I think we maybe call it, online protest from the Scottish women's national team players as well so like I said patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast good night sports social podcast network